Welcome to the Untitled Feck podcast with Feck and Feck and Feckity Feckity Feck Feck Feck. Do you see what he's doing here, listeners? Because we're reviewing Irish films today. Well, I, think, well, I suppose they are both Irish. Well, they're both Irish, at least have Irish lead and yeah, Irish director. Very true. I, I, it's, it's funny, one of them I don't think of necessarily as an Irish movie, but I suppose it very much is. I guess it depends where the money comes from. I think that's what sets what country a movie comes from, like Harry Potter. Well, it does from like an award point of view, but I don't necessarily think it does from a creative a, a, point of view. A creative or a public consciousness point of view. Exactly. Like uh, Channel 4 bankrolled Father Ted, but nobody considers that show English. Although, ironically, one of the films that we watched today um, very much reminded me of Father Ted. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll talk about that a little bit later. Anyway, welcome, 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 welcome. I once as ever am Johnny, and he once as ever is, what was your name again? Callum. Are you having a stroke? That's <laughs> uh, what happens when we record two podcasts back to back. It's just too much. His brain is scrambled, listeners. <laughs> There's no more Johnny left. Anyway, um, there is something though if you want to kind of remind me what is going on in my brain um, you can message us on various devices and platforms and Callum would you like to fill the listeners in on such things? Absolutely, if you go to Untitled Film Podcast, one word um, on either Instagram or Facebook, you'll find us there please send us a message Follow us, you know, do all the, do all the stuff that we you do. We ask questions sometimes, we, we do, answer the questions. We're going to reintroduce the questions. In fact, by the point that this episode comes out, there will be questions because we haven't done them for a while, but we will do them again. I've got one brewing in the mind, but I wanted to wait until this week was sort of cleared because we'd already posted a couple of things. Absolutely. Yeah, go do. Do what he said. Go on. <laughs> Just go on it. these things. Go on these things. Um, that brings us nicely, as ever, to the news. And if you sing, I'll kill you. What, you mean the, the little jingle? You don't want me to do that? I'll, I'll turn your microphone I know you off. <laughs> anyway. I'll you... get away with anything. <laughs> Someone's got to keep a tight leash on this podcast. <laughs> um, so, Callum, what is your first piece of news? Uh, first bit of news is that Kiefer Sutherland is set to star in a film, an action thriller called... The Winter Kills, and it's one of those scripts that was on the blacklist for ages. If, oh, for those that don't know, it's the best unproduced screenplays, and uh, they make a list, and that is kind of a good way to get unproduced screenplays into the work somehow. Um, so this film is written by a guy called Ben Floro Carney. Sorry, uh, the film is produced by Patrick Risotto. Risotto, Risotti. Sorry, <laughs> Paul Johnson, You're David Guillermo, John Junior, and Wyatt Russell. White Russell, of course, is um, the young actor. So, uh, yeah, it seems to be something that um, should be quite fun and probably tie him back to his 24 roots because he was an action star for the kind of Bush era for such a long time. Apparently, it's, uh, he's going to portray a disgraced cop pursuing the serial killer who murdered his partner 10 years ago. How cliched, but I love it. I'm here for it. Well, we shall see. Sounds like shit to me. But. <laughs> it sounds like every single one of those films where they get slightly over the hill movie yeah. or TV star, like Aaron Eckhart. What happened to his career? He used to. He was like the indie cool I guy. Really like Aaron Eckhart. But as well. now that's never all been does. a fan of Keith Sullivan though. He's not someone. It's funny, who, I'm watching. Um, he's not his father. 
I'm, I'm watching a show called Designated Survivor, which is absolutely oh, true. I watched the first season and half of that, and then I was like, Carl Penn is not good enough to even keep me in, sucked yeah. into this. No, that's, that's the thing. I'm clinging on to Carl Penn for dear life. <laughs> he was the reason I watched it, and yeah. it just didn't wasn't good enough. Yeah. Flimsy. Flimsy yeah, at best. Keeper Sutherland doing his respectable president voice. My fellow Americans. Very, you know, he it does the whispering thing. It's like, stop whispering, man. Speak <laughs> up. Anywho, my first piece of news this week is that after many production delays, um, a very sudden return to Ted Lasso. Yes, I heard about this. It's coming out on the 15th of March. Um, there's been reported, I mean, when was the last season? It must have been, it wasn't last year, was it? It must have been 2021, I reckon. Oh, yeah. Gosh, it, it may very well have been. It was. It feels like a bloody long time ago. Anyway, it was a little while ago. Um, and yeah, season two is now. Uh, season three is now slated to come out. Had some major production delays. Apparently, there was issues with scripts. There are plenty of rumours this could be the last season. Um, but it, I don't think it's one hundred percent confirmed. It's going to be the last season yet. But originally, they were talking about four seasons to wrap the storyline up. But I think with the production delays and things they had this one, um, there are a lot of people that I think want to go and have film careers and things now. Um, but they haven't, yeah, haven't made it official that it's going to be the last one. Um, but when this podcast comes out, it'll be about 10 days from from release. So that is exciting. You've, you've watched Ted Less, haven't you? Yes, I have. And do you like it? I really like the first season. Season two started to get a bit too syrupy, where every episode ended with someone hugging, crying and la- learning and laughing while Coldplay's Fix You played. But there were some really good episodes, kind of spiky episodes in between those, which kept me on board. I just think that maybe they should rebalance it slightly for season three. Add a touch more cynicism in, because that's what makes the syrupy stuff so enchanting when it does happen. If everybody's syrupy all the time, it kind of loses its point a bit. I would argue that, especially with like Nate's character things, there was some spikiness there. There, there was, there. there certainly was. I just think that the balance started to, the seesaw started to untip. One way. Well, I think it's because the main two antagonists would become friends, exactly. which then means they were trying to find their own feels places. like they but... had a one-season arc and then thought, fucking hell, this thing is popular, we're going to make a second season. And I think, I think they can. I think for season three, they can get the balance back if Nate becomes like a proper enemy. Because, you know, at the end, actually, I don't want to spoil it, but at the end, something happens season two so well great well reviewed <laughs> well reviewed yeah anyway what's your second piece of news <laughs> uh, second bit of news is that there's a uh, a horror film about to come out called satanic hispanics a latino horror anthology set for theatrical release by a production company that i haven't heard of called dread just just dread and the idea is that each director of each anthology section is from a uh, different part of Latin America. So you have um, Alejandro um, Bruges, who made One of the Dead, Gigi Sol Guerrero, uh, Bingo Hell, Mike Mendez, Big Ass Spider, and Demian Rugner, who did Terrified. I can't say I've heard of those films, but it's always a good way to get uh, representation out. And with that pun, uh, Satanic Hispanics, it looks like they're going to be playing on the Satanic Panic uh, thing of the 1980s and 70s so i think uh making a, a latino point of view of that that could be that sounds like a really fun idea to me especially if, if it's an anthology if one little mini sode isn't good there's always a next the next one coming along which was the thing about sir uh, guillermo del toro's recent 
um, anthology horror series, like for every rubbish episode, there was a good one just around the corner. Mm, interesting. Yeah. What's your next bit of news? Um, so Brian Cranston has said that he would do a Malcolm in the Middle movie if it was a great idea. Apparently there has been rumours flying around that there is talk of Malcolm Middle getting a film treatment. Oh, wow. Um, I think, how long ago did Malcolm finish? Maybe 20 years? So it was, the first season was 2001. I want to say it was eight seasons. So I think it ended in about 2006 or seven. So it's a good 15, 16 years ago. Yeah. Where obviously Frankie Muniz has had um, health issues and yes. things since. And also a motor racing career. I think he's getting back into motor racing again, interestingly enough. Um yeah, interesting. I don't know how they will make it work. Cause... Well, they won't get Dewey back unless they recast him because uh, Eric Per Sullivan wants nothing to do with film and television anymore. I don't think he necessarily had a bad experience. I just think he, he realised by the time he was, what, like 15, he'd made millions of dollars and he thought, why do any more of this? Yeah, and sometimes you think that when you know, you've had a hit TV show, why do people like so desperately try and have another one? Yeah, if you've well, got $20 why? million dollars in the bank, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah I think I think he went off to university. I think Brian Cranston actually said he asked me for a recommendation for a, for a reference. Um, so this it's not like he, it's not like he's on bad terms. He just wants nothing to do mm. with anything to do with the camera anymore. He's very private. Just I almost I almost feel like what they'd have to do is do what they do on like anything like that '90s show and or you know any Fuller House for the new Full Fuller House, yes, isn't Fuller it? House. Where it's like the kids come back as parents and the parents then become grandparents and then they have their own kids and you'd have to almost do it like that and maybe I don't know maybe they could get Dewey to do a cameo from like a space station or something because <laughs> obviously he was quite smart as well, wasn't he? Along with, like with Malcolm, um, but yeah, you know. It, it, I don't know quite how it would work, but I, I, I'd like to see if it's done well. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I was a big fan of that show. Huge fan, actually. I think it, it, it really broke a lot of moulds at the time. Um, obviously, it, it was one of the first really big kind of single camera yeah, shows. hugely influential. I don't think people give it the credit that it deserves. No, and it's, it's still like... One of the odd, you know, if you if if that came out on a streaming service now, you'd like for it to be a network TV show and a big success on network TV. It's weird. It's it's shot pretty weirdly. It's structured very weirdly. The characters are all very weird. I mean, at times it almost like falls into feeling like a Terry Gilliam movie or something. <laughs> like the, some of the stuff like the mum shouting at them with like fisheye lenses in her face and stuff. Like it is. It's it's really. I think it's really... Un- I mean, I've never met anyone who doesn't like it, but it, it, I think it's really underrated. I think... And it's just it's just really funny as well. I think people... And, and the act, level of acting talent the acting I think people dismiss it because they think of it... Oops. As if it's a children's show because they, most people we know watched it when we were 10, 11, 12. And we don't think about it as a great sitcom because when we watched it, we weren't thinking about things in those terms. And I think that's mm-hmm. why... And because it stars children... I think people dismiss it for that reason. They don't think of it as a proper sitcom in the way that they also dismiss animation or dismiss, you know, maybe not even consciously knowing that they're doing it. They they dismiss it for that reason. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But uh, I think it did win a ton of Emmys and stuff, though. Oh, yeah, it was uh, I think it was yeah, massively and good. And it was a big ratings hit as well. Oh, massive. I just don't think. 
I think as well, like in the UK, it used to be on like six in the evening after the, or before The Simpsons or after The Simpsons. So everyone used to watch it and it maybe didn't quite get the rev, you know. In a way, it's sort of the um, the torchbearer of The Simpsons because mm. it was just as The Simpsons was turning bad and it sort of did the same thing of a family sitcom. So it, it's the true successor to The Simpsons. I'd be interested to hear from our American fans how it's kind of seen and perceived in, in the States and how, you know, how it's held up there. Yes, yes. Well, let us know what, what its reputation is and how, you, how much you enjoyed it. And how can they do that again, Callum? They can do it if they go to Untitled Film Podcast, one word, on <laughs> <laughs> Instagram and Facebook. It's all there. Uh, it's good, good stuff. I promise you. <laughs> You'll like it. You'll really like it. Come and join us. Join us. Join us in the pool. Join us. Don't, don't mind that it's suspiciously join warm us. in that one corner. Join us. Anyway. On to the reviews of the films. The films. The films. Da, 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 da. After a couple of weeks of departure from movies, we are back with movie pictures. And as it has just been the Oscars, yes, the Oscars have just happened. And we all know all those big winners, don't we, Callum? Absolutely. No, we don't. Uh, you know, and that film that won the best picture was, oh, was definitely deserving slash awful and the totally wrong decision. Who could, knew would it, it would have gone to insert movie here? Absolutely. And who knew? I mean, Tom Cruise was so happy when Top Gun Maverick swept every award. Except for Best Adapted Screenplay. Of course, which that went to um, the Glass Onion, A Knives Out story. Yes, Best Adapted Screenplay, that. Absolutely. Anywho. Enough of this mindless banter. <laughs> so, Callum... Can you fill us in on our first movie of the week? Absolutely. So the first film of the week is The Banshees of Inner Sharon. It's um, the latest film by Martin McDonough. And it's set on a small island just off the coast of Ireland um, during the Irish Civil War. There are these two friends, or at least they thought they were friends, uh, Porrick and Colm. And one day Porrick goes down to Colm's uh, house, which is by the beach, and he's just sitting there. And he knocks on the door, he says, should we go to the pub? And nothing happens. Goes to the pub and he doesn't join him. He doesn't know what's going on. And eventually, eventually it's revealed that, that Colm is just tired of hanging around with Porrick. Uh, so Colm is the older man, he's played by Brendan Gleeson. Uh, Porrick is the younger man, played by uh, Colin Farrell. And he just says, I just don't like you anymore. And this sets off an existential crisis for both men who are both going through something incredibly profound but don't have the language or, frankly, the intelligence to kind of really snuff out what exactly is going on with them. A real philosophical journey because the reason why Colm gives is that I want to spend my remaining years on Earth creating things that people will love, music, art. I don't want to be spending it with another boring man like you. And that's what sets off this journey of existential dread and philosophical conundrums on this little island and johnny what did you think of the banshees of inner sharon yeah it's all right <laughs> that's your thing isn't it i haven't done it for a while and yeah. yeah i really liked it i didn't love it it's, okay. it's it's obviously had real high praise like really you know Possibly it won the Oscar. You guys will know. We don't know at this point. We do in time. not know yet. Um, it's probably fifty-fifty. Um, 
I thought it was incredibly well acted. I enjoyed the story um, to an extent. I, it made me chuckle at times. Um, it did, though, at times almost feel a little bit like a Father Ted episode where Dougal and Father Ted have fallen out. Was kind of how I felt. Um, I kind of, I don't know how to describe it. Obviously, I think it's going to get comparisons to two billboards. Yep. Um, was it three billboards? Three, three billboards, billboards outside Ebbing, Ebbing Missouri. Missouri. Yeah. Um, and I feel like three billboards had a lot more of a point to it. And I think three billboards, um, I don't necessarily think the acting was any better. I don't necessarily think, um, you know, they were, uh, I don't know how to describe. What, uh, there was just something with it. It didn't light me on fire. I didn't like, it didn't um, perfectly work for me in the way that I thought it would. And three billboards really did. Three billboards, I felt moved by the end of it and, you know, really invested in it. And I kind of didn't as much with this. Having said that, Everyone should watch it. It's it probably, I think, is 10, 15 minutes too long. <laughs> Shocker, I know, for me to say that. But I, I think it is well acted. It's really well put together. It's an interesting story. It's an interesting concept. Um, I love that kind of period of, of Ireland and just, yeah. And, and it is very beautiful as well. Um, but it's missing a spark for it's me. Missing an element. Yeah. How about you? Well, I, I have to say, I, I think we've, spoiled it already we talked about it on uh, end of year review review end of year review that this was my favorite film of last year and but in the same way that you had trouble describing exactly what it was that didn't work for you i think there might be a common theme with this review is a lot of us going um because not a lot happens does it really not a lot happens but it just depends on whether the not a lot that's happening grabs you or yeah. it doesn't. And I think I was quite taken with this more uh, philosophical approach to filmmaking because he's dabbled in that before. He's a playwright. So his thinking is very much like that. It's, it's um, one part broad humour, one part philosophy lesson. And I think what the film is about is about when stoicism becomes toxic. It's the same situation that leads to the stiff upper lip, which might be useful on a battlefield for English generals, when you come home and you still have a stiff upper lip, you know, you, it's a mask for the trauma that people are suffering rather than a way of dealing with it. And I think that's with the character of Colm, who turns his dislike for Porrick into something not just dangerous, but also it ends up being self-harming. Um, I think it's branching out into ideas of what happens when some sort of trauma that to the film's credit they don't kind of make a point of saying i remember when colm was hit by that horse or remember when he slipped down the you know of why or what exactly there's something that's gone on in colm in colm's life or something that's happened that's kind of made him have this trigger moment and even he like the, the, one of my favorite scenes is when so the sister, who's played by uh, Kerry Condon... Who's excellent. Who is also excellent. Um, she confronts Colm and she says, um, you, know, uh, you know, why aren't you talking anymore? And he just says, I don't want to spend any more of my life around boring men. And she just goes, but you're all boring men. All of you, every one of you. 
even Colm with his moodiness and his I'm going to be creating art now. And at one point, you know, he says, um, uh, everybody remembers the music of of Mozart in the 17th century. And says, oh, and by the way, that was the 18th century. So he's just as dull and uninteresting as Porrick. But the difference is, is that Porrick has no conundrum about this. He's fine being... A, just a nice guy. A nice guy, a boring man on a boring island. Uh, he isn't suffering from these same things. He's possibly suffering from something else when the fr- uh, friendship that he wants to give isn't reciprocated. And again, that's something that turns toxic in him. But I can't give that too much of that away because Colm's story is the setup. Porrick's story is the payoff. So I can't really say a lot about that. So there, it, it's about these dueling ideas about people who are just all too similar. And it's about f- being frightened that in deep down inside, you are just another boring man on a boring island. And that's what I really liked about it. I, I really liked that that was occasionally delivered through very broad humour. As you say, it sometimes feels like a Father Ted episode. <laughs> um, and then it can just turn into this kind of very bleak film about existing but not living. And I really liked it for that. Like it was fun, When it was funny, it was very funny. And then eventually it just, it's not funny anymore. This is no longer a, a laughing matter. I think that's best articulated through Barry Keenig's character, um, who is like this scrappy boy that kind of no one wants to take care of. Uh, yeah, so I just thought it was excellent. Um, so, you know, clearly uh, two slightly different sides of the coin were falling on this time. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. And I kind of see it from that point of view. But then I think it, I think it took too long to get there in that sense. So I kind of maybe lost, I, I just didn't feel like I connected with the characters. And... I know it's kind of a metaphor and stuff, but I just did find them all a bit, uh, a lot of them a bit insufferable bores, which, which is the whole point of it, I know. <laughs> but then it kind of was like, well, d- d- there's some things you watch, they're a hard watch, and you're like, and this is important. It's important I watch this. It's important I watch Schindler's List. It's very stressful. And then there's some things you watch that just make you happy or laugh, and then there's some things you watch that make you think. I think this is almost trying to be all three at once. And I don't necessarily think it kind of what fits into any of them that well. And that's maybe, I, I didn't find it funny enough to be a comedy. Although, like you say, there were some really quite funny broad moments and some of the things that some of the tertiary characters said in particular <laughs> were, like, were very Father Ted-esque at times. Okay. Um, there were some fantastic scenes in it and... and yeah, and the kind of core relationship. And, 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 you know, part of me thinks, yes, I do respect something that doesn't have to have a complete resolution at the end of the film. It doesn't have to have a... Um, it doesn't need a flashback scene to show what happened when Corrick was a boy and why he is this way, or he doesn't have to have a... And I kind of respect that on one hand, but on another hand, I felt like I was left, for the length of the movie, wanting more. If it was really short and sharp, then I think it would have worked better for me. But I kind of thought, well, you, I feel like you needed to have done more in that time. I think this is the kind of film, if it came out 10 years ago, I'd have probably quite loved it, but I'm a bit more impatient myself now, <laughs> a bit more, a bit, a bit more um, uh, choric kind of side of things. Like, I've only got so much time left. I can't. That's uh, Colm. Col- sorry, Colm. Choric is... Um, That's yeah. what I meant. I actually mixed both their oh, names together. Then. Yeah, I said choric. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm a bit more impatient. Um, and I kind of think, just get on with it. 
and and while I see you know a good film within there, and while I you know I think people should watch it, and I did enjoy it, it just didn't bowl me over like it has done a lot of people. And you know, and I can maybe see how it's bowled people over, but it just didn't one hundred percent work for me. Um, and I think as well, I, I love Three Billboards. I love In Bruges. They're both very. Di- they both. They both have that broad comedy and also um, bleakness about them, and that kind of you know, uh, looking at the area, human condition. It's areas that he's dabbled in is certainly familiar areas. Yeah, and it, this definitely was a lot, a lot tighter and stuff than say Seven Psychopaths, which is I, I still quite like, but it's a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, but it. It just, it was just missing something for me. It was a key ingredient that and just I, wasn't there for you. Yeah, and I just can't necessarily put my foot on it. But no, slightly different opinions, but I'd still say watch it. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely recommend. And it's a hard film to summarise. It's a hard It film is hard film to summarise, It's yeah. kind of whether it gets you on a cerebral cortex, grey matter sort yeah. of way. And if it doesn't, it might just glance off the side. And the thing is, as, as well, it's quite hard to for us to review it too much without giving without, too much yeah. away. Like we can't really talk about Porrick at all because like his stuff is all the second half of the film, mm-hmm. and uh, or or even Barry Keeney. Uh, I, I think I'm mispronouncing his name. Um, the the young boy. Uh, a lot of his stuff is the second half of the film. We can only really talk about Colm. I I was thinking about who I thought was the best actor in it actually, and I think it could be Barry. Barry's fantastic in it. I, I was kind of deciding, is it because he's a bit more cheery, cheery, but I just, he was really good and he was perfect for his role. And it's so good to see Colin Farrell finally get rewarded because he's been, he's one of those actors, because he's handsome and because mm. he did that decade, like all handsome actors who go to Hollywood would do and shouldn't be ashamed about, he did like five, ten years where he would only do sort of dumb shit. But when he, when he's on form, he's one of, if not the best actor of this gen, of mm-hmm. his generation. And it's almost feels like only people are going now. Oh, wait a minute, he's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad about that. No, I am. I th- yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a lot to like about this film. Definitely. Yes, very much so. Very much. So. Anyway, I think it is time to go for an advertisement break. And if we come back, Callum does this. I'm gonna buy it for a dollar <laughs> thing. I'm going to unplug his microphone and not plug in for the rest of the episode. Is that right? That's a promise, <laughs> not a, that's a promise. But a promise, not a threat. Exactly. What if I change it slightly? Like... No, nothing. Okay. Enjoy these adverts. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week, you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies... I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And we're back. That's not a product that I will buy for any amount of money. <laughs> not including not the referenced amount of money in the film <laughs> with a cop who is not a man but a robot. I would not buy that product. I think you need to buy the product, but it might not be for but that's what a previous amount of money was said. But anyway, um, I will just about, for that, let you keep your microphone, but only <laughs> just, and you're on thin ice. <laughs> anyway, um, I've already mentioned our, our, our old film of the day uh, in our previous review, and that film is In Bruges. Somewhere we've been recently. Yes, we have. We did both recently been to Bruges just yeah. before Christmas. We had some chocolate. It was mm-hmm. nice. Anyway, uh, In Bruges is a tale of two Irish gangsters, one of whom has made a grave mistake, who have gone to Bruges at the behest of their boss to hide out. The grave mistake... I think this is quite early in the film, and we can talk what we want in the yes, second yes. film, but anyway. But um, is accidentally shooting a child. It was an accident, but he shot a child. And his boss has said to the person who's gone with him, played by Brendan Gleeson, uh, that if he... Um, uh, that for killing a child, he must die, effectively. But he feels bad for him and how it went down and wants him to go to a magical place such as Bruges. What are your thoughts on In Bruges, Callum? In Bruges was fantastic. Um, it came around around the same time as I was done. This was when I was properly getting into movies. So it was 2008. 2008. So I was 18. So it was at the time when when this kind of, kind of I think it was Fox Searchlight that produced it and all that kind of stuff. Um, or if it wasn't, it was Focus Features or one of those indie, you know, adjacent uh, studios. And it was just like this stuff hit me just in the right way at the time it came out. But the problem with a lot of those films, like, say, Garden State or, or one of the films that we were going to review this with was I suggested the film Once, the Irish musical. Um, but the problem with those films is that you, you what enchants you as a 13, 14, even 18-year-old can just seem quite twiddly-dee and, and sort of twee in a, a very sickly sort of way. I think the great thing about this is that it keeps its rough edges on. So, as you say, it's about two gangsters. And it tends to avoid the kinds of... Because um, around this time, Guy Ritchie was still making his mockany, cockany gangster films with stylized dialogue. Oops, sorry. That was me this time. I knocked the microphone. Sorry, Rob. You're getting much worse than me. I think I'm, uh, I'm getting more animated as I review. I think that's why. <laughs> um, it avoids that sort of annoying dialogue because um, this is Martin McDonough's, I think it's his, his first film. This is his first um, feature. Like he did a short film. He did before. a short film before this, uh, which was... But he'd uh, done about six, seven plays, though. Yes, exactly. Uh, he'd done a lot of theatre. So his dialogue feels very theatrical, but it never strays into the territory of filmed play, where it's very hard to adapt a play to the screen. It can often just look like a play on screen. 
so you get very chewy, very funny dialogue, which then, well, much like um, um, the Banshees of Inner Sharon, slips into bleaker territories as they discuss the kind of life and death and Bruges becomes a metaphor, a fairly clumsy metaphor, but they get away with it for um, um, the afterlife, for a, a purgatory. Like uh, Bruges is the kind of place where it's not heaven, nor is it hell. It's just like you're in a miserable sort of waiting room. Um, so Mark McDonough has a special way of getting away with quite a lot. Like he can do very broad um, comedy, like uh, two manky hookers and a racist dwarf. You know, lines like that, which, you know, in the hands of any other actors and any other writers, <laughs> you would kind of cringe behind behind your fingers. But he gets away with it because it's how it, well it's interlaced between the drama, the comedy, the action. It all just kind of works. And watching it again, like we, I've seen this a bajillion times, every time I watch it, I sort of think to myself, this shouldn't work. This should just be... Guy Ritchie with thespians doing their best Cockney accents, or, you know, not in the case of uh, Colin and Brendan, but certainly in the case of Ray Fiennes, the boss, and, you know, occasionally slipping into a dramatic bit, as Guy Ritchie sometimes does, but then back to comedy Cockneys, and that gets very irksome very quickly, and it just avoids it. It's, it's one of those cases where it's hard to pinpoint exactly what he's doing different, but he manages to interlace all these things, where the comedy is never overbearing, the drama um, pairs with it quite nicely, the uh, action never feels like, oh, got to stick a gunfight in here. And yeah, it just works. It's just a really great movie from that sort of time. Uh, Johnny, what were your thoughts as someone else who's seen it a bajillion times? I have indeed seen it a bajillion times. I love it. I I fight internally whether it's my favourite of his movies, um, partially because... It's got a very special place in my heart. Again, same kind of period time. I can't. I was trying to remember if I saw it in the cinema or if I missed it in the cinema and then got it as soon as it came on DVD and was like, oh, I wish I'd seen this in the cinema. And I can't remember which way around it was. But anyway, um, I think it is, like you say, it really works that tightrope very well between being broadly comic but also being, you know, a, some considerably deeper and, and, and a drama and a lot of things like to call themselves dark comedies like the joker or whatever else and they they just they don't they're either one or the other with a bit of something peppered on it but this really intrinsically into its core is a dark comedy it it is funny like seriously funny at times but it is you know, really hinged around uh, deep drama and despair. And, you know, deep drama and despair is... is, And it's one of those things that uh, there's not much of a line between drama and... and, and, uh, Sorry, between tragedy and comedy, really. Um, But, yeah, it it really walks that tightrope so well. There's, like you say, there's some really chewy, fun dialogue... Uh, Ralph Fiennes really gets to go a few things that make me laugh. Um, yeah. You're an inanimate fucking object. <laughs> that is one of my... I use that on a daily basis to people. Um, and it is, is it, yeah, it really sticks in my mind as just one of those films. It's incredible. Acted by everyone. Um, and also it's quite... it's For what is a very low-budget movie, really beautifully shot, which is very helped. They're in Bruges, and Bruges is a very beautiful place. But... It looks really fucking good. It just does. 
Yeah, the nighttime scenes especially. Yeah. You know, they, they managed to capture the fog and the, the buildings very well. Especially towards the end when they, they're, they're doing, when they're on the film set. As yes. Well, and the film set within the film set, um, which all looks excellent. No, I, I, I find little to fault with it. I think it is, uh, he, he's got an incredibly good batting average. Really oh, hasn't absolutely. he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's very strong. He's pretty much four for four because even though Seven Psychopaths is a bit of a mess, it's still a watch. I would say, um, which is is pretty impressive as a filmmaker. But no, I I really love it. Um, it's quite hard to say too many too much superlatives about it. Really, it just it's funny, it's engaging, it is good looking, it's well acted. I mean, what more do you want? It's when Colin Farrell again. This was the period. His Hollywood period was about 2000 to 2006 or seven. So this was just as he was starting to come back out of that. He was mm-hmm. starting to age out of the hunky leading man who shoots a gun. Although I guess he does a lot of that in here too. Um, <laughs> kind of roles. And he really showed people what it was that made him so exciting when he first went to Hollywood. And this was kind of the reason why people went, oh, we really painted this actor wrong. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he, he's excellent. Brendan is excellent. Rafe's very funny, and it's a lot of very funny supporting roles, supporting uh, cameos from from different actors. Uh, no, it's it's absolutely a very high recommend, and as you say, four for four. Yes, yeah. man. Absolutely. I think that probably wraps up our reviews. Really, so. um, it's not slightly short ones this week, but I think uh, without wanting to give too much away, and, and both films that we we both enjoyed, yes, very much different so. degrees, maybe. Let's start off. Callum, for the Banshees, what are you going to give it out of 10 and why? I think I'm going to give it some between two scores and between eight and nine, but I think it's on the slightly higher front. It's, it just impressed me in the way that it do, 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 do. of, um, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> that don't impress me oh. much. My uh, God. Uh, uh-huh. and, and he pulls my microphone. I ask you, <laughs> is it a democracy? No, it is not. Um, but no, it, it did impress me very it's much. It's dictatorship. Um, <laughs> the, the way that uh, he battled these themes, these humours, these the f- philosophical points. So I think a nine uh, is what I'm going to give it. And it was my favourite film of last year. That and Everything Everywhere All at Once are my sort of, they fight for the top spot, but usually Banshee's just about edges it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I am. I, I, I liked it slightly less than you. I think it could have done what it did in an hour and fifty minutes, in an hour and thirty. Um, I maybe don't buy is the wrong word. I, I just didn't get sucked in quite a, to the same level on a caring about the characters. It's a couple of one in particular key thing that happens that kind of should make should have made me feel more emotions than it did um having said that it's very well acted it's very well made it is smart and to be fair i might watch it a second time and 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 feel find something else in it which sometimes happens with this type of film i think um but i'm still think it was really good and i still think it's a good watch you know i think i'm maybe just being maybe slightly harshly critical of it because it was built up so highly to me um, so I still think I'm going to give it an eight. Like I, I still think it's a, a you know, 
I, 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 my criticism may have sound hard. No, <laughs> my, I understand that because hype is a hard thing to come over. Yeah, and I think that's it. I think maybe that's what I'm trying to do is deflate the hype a little bit. Doesn't mean I, I still didn't really like it. I just maybe didn't think it was as good as I thought it was going to be just from what everyone else has said to me. You being one of those people <laughs> yeah, that have overhyped was. it. I certainly did. And in Bruges, what are your thoughts? Well, in Bruges was one of the key texts uh, for teenage me. 18-year-old me, um, I, I think everything about it works. It's funny, it's exciting. Uh, the, the bits that do hit you on an emotional level really do. Uh, I think I think probably a nine as well. I think uh, it's. I think Banshees is his strongest film since In Bruges. I wasn't quite so won over by Thrill Three, but Three Billboards. Uh, there were some bits in that that, in the same way that it, um, Banshees didn't quite hook you in that same way i i give a similar rating to three billboards and so i wasn't quite bought on the hype of that so i think uh banshees and in bruges are sort of the two pillars here and so the, his first and his la- latest and so i think uh, they stand about as high as each other um so about nine out of ten for both interesting um that's interesting actually because i uh, yeah i would put in bruges and three billboards as mine that are kind of battle with each other for his best in my mind. But I think that show, I think it's when you've got two people who've got reasonably good taste in movies, not to toot our own horns too much. And, and, and you, and you, you, you can reasonably argue that I, I think anyone who says second seven psychopaths is the best is, is wrong. Yeah. But I think there are arguments for all three of these movies to be his best movie. And I think that says a lot about a, the quality of him, but also the quality of all these three movies as yes. well. Um, I also think I will give In Bruges a nine. I was contemplating a ten, um, but I I think it's maybe it's not perfect. Maybe you know it didn't. It doesn't like rough. blow me away yeah. to the edges of the universe. Yeah, and it's you can tell it's a bit low budget at yeah. times and things. Not really its fault, but it still takes away from it slightly. I think, um, but it is it's pretty damn close to a ten in my head though. Um, it just works on every level. If you haven't seen it, what are you doing? Turn this podcast off now with seven seconds left to run uh, <laughs> and go and watch it. It's on Disney Plus, I want to say. Yes, yes it is. It's on some form of online UK, media so. anyway. Um, so no, go and watch In Bridge if you haven't seen it. Go and watch Banshees if you haven't seen it. Um, so we are averaging out a nine for In Bruges and an eight and a half for Banshees. I mean, that is pretty highly pretty rated from both of them. Batting average, that man. Absolutely. Anyway, that takes us to the end of the episode. It certainly does. Um, thanks once again for listening. Uh, hopefully we will be back next... Well, we will be back next week. Um, but we will hopefully actually know what's happened at the Oscars by next week. And we will maybe have a little chat Talk, about that yeah, too. Yeah, maybe have a little chat about the winners and everything that went on. Absolutely. And I'd buy that for, for a dollar. <laughs> it's at the end. It's at the end. Right, I've unplugged his microphone. I'm going to go on for a few more minutes. Um, let's just hope that no one gets punched at this year's Oscars. Let's hope that... It's only going on, so he can end it on his terms. <laughs> let's, you know... Yeah, um, and I uh, hope you enjoyed our Oscar predictions from last week's episode, and I hope we were right. Anyway, I'm going to say goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. <laughs> Bye.
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.